Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, weirdos. It's Rachel, and I'm here with Jess, and we just wanted to jump into your feeds with a special little bonus episode because it's a weird time. <laughs> and, and we'd like to offer you some nice but weird things to think about. So yeah, we thought it would be a great opportunity to go through some of our backlog of listener messages. We have a few messages to share and a few user submitted facts that I've done my usual checking into to ensure that they are in fact facts. So we'll get to enjoy some of those. Jess, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm sitting in my closet um, <laughs> and I'm ready to do this. This is fun. I'm under a bathrobe. So, well, I love that for you. We both got really creative here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing great. We're doing as well as can be expected. And we hope that you're doing even better than can be expected, weirdos. It's been great talking to some of you guys in the Weirdest Thing Facebook group. We were just talking about some of our pop side COVID-19 content. Obviously, as a science magazine, we've been covering the pandemic really closely. Uh, and I shared some of that in the Weirdest Thing Facebook group. And it just reminded me that I should let listeners know that we are happy to serve as a resource for you if you have any questions you want answered. Uh, they will not be answered on The Weirdest Thing because that's not what this podcast is for. We want this to be a weird and wonderful escape for you. We're not a news podcast. It's a safe haven. It is. It is. But that doesn't mean that you can't ask us questions. The Weirdest Thing Facebook group, our Twitter, which is weirdest underscore thing, our Instagram our uh, weekly Twitter Q&As through the PopSci uh, Twitter handle, and anyone can ask a question there. But yeah, you should definitely feel free to access us through the Weirdest Thing community. We are really happy to help you cut through the misinformation out there and to offer whatever support and reassurance we can. Again, it will not happen on the Weirdest Thing podcast. We're going to keep it light and funky here. Uh, because we know that's what you come to us for. But we uh, we really do love and care about all of our listeners. And we are a science magazine. So in our day-to-day -day lives, fortunately and unfortunately, we have become real experts on COVID-19. And uh, any way we can help you out with that information, we uh, are thrilled to do so. With that out of the way, 
we uh, can get to some voice messages, which I have heard, but Jess has not. So I'm in the dark. Yes, as usual, some of these will be delightful surprises. Can't wait. Let's see. I didn't think about order. I've got notes and I've got the files themselves, but I think I'm just going to start with a, oh, actually a two-parter. You know, normally I like to be a stickler for making people fit the 60 second voice message timeline, but also like, you know, things are hard. So totally. <laughs> if, you, if you need more than a minute, I understand. We can um, cut some slack. Yeah. And a lot of these messages are actually back from November or December. You can send us voice messages with facts or comments or questions anytime, and we will do our best to get back to them. But uh, it's always fun to kind of save them all for for one little bonanza. Uh, So here's one from a listener named Katie. Hello, Supreme Queen weirdos. My name is Katie. I am from Fort Collins, Colorado, and I wanted to share a potential weird fact um, that hopefully you enjoy. So in an undergraduate bioanthropology class, I remember discussing um, orangutans and the way in which they form like the big pans on their face. Um, This might end up being like a two firm message. So just be aware. Um, so only the the male orangutans have these facial pans. And usually, from what I remember discussing, they usually come with sexual maturity. So the orangutans with the larger facial pans, um, generally speaking, have, have gotten more orangutan booty than those without. Um, and it looks like Anchor's going to stop me, so... Anchor did stop her. So anyway, orangutan pan part two. Um, Yeah, the orangutans with the larger pans have been more sexually prolific males. Um, But the interesting thing about this is that, you know, throughout kind of the primate world and different primate species and then outside of primate species, um, what we would call rape, I guess, if we're going to anthropomorphize it, um, is, is a pretty common thing. And the super interesting thing here from what I remember is that if a male orangutan has like forcible intercourse with a female, he will not develop those like really huge facial pans. So the implication there is that there might be some sort of epigenetic link to consensual sex in orangutans. Wow. That's it. Bye. What? Wow is right. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, so and this is one that uh, needs a little clarification, which is, you know, I listening to it, I was like, that is so fascinating. And I feel like it can't be entirely right. And indeed, there's there is a link, but the causation is reversed. So it is true that orangutan males, some of them have these big flappy cheek pads that are known as flanges. Yeah, I was going to ask what she was referring to, if you knew. Yeah, just like their their faces get kind of like wide and they develop these like gobbly throats and like <laughs> yeah. wobbly cheeks. I think um, I know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> and these develop, they seem to be related to testosterone levels. The testosterone levels peak really high as the pads are developing and then level out. But what's really cool, and I did not know this, so thank you so much, Katie, for getting me to look this up, orangutans have like a sort of arrested development. 
So the males all go through what we'd call puberty around age 8 to age 15. Their testicles descend, they can reproduce, but they remain smaller than these truly adult males that have face flanges and they don't develop those jowls. So they're kind of like, they are males, but they're like pseudo adult males. But then it's it's like, well, what does it even mean to be an adult male? They can reproduce, so they're adults, but there's like a bimodal kind of sexual dimorphism, right? They're like two kinds of males. So then sometime between age 15 and 20, they can have this spike of testosterone that makes them get bigger and makes them develop these attractive facial flanges. But this only happens in certain conditions, namely if there's no resident alpha male in their territory already. So that's the epigenetic thing that's happening is that they have this like biological response to there being an opportunity to be the biggest male in that territory. And until then, and possibly for their whole lives, if they never, you know, have that opportunity, they're transient. And during that time, they will force copulation on any females that they find who are in estrus. Once, if and when they actually get to develop the size and flanges of that second wave of puberty, they switch their strategy to having territory that's their own and waiting for females to come to them for protection And at that point, they can actually have these very like prolonged periods of like mutually beneficial romance up in the trees. So that's why you get these these very disparate displays of like sexuality in orangutans, because if they get to become these territory having males, they have their pick of females, they can be leisurely about it. It's all very mutually beneficial. But until that time, and again, if they don't get lucky, then for their whole lives, they're just prowling around forcing copulation. And in fact, often female orangutans will seek out a big male for protection. And studies indicate that both strategies are effective. Uh, I found one study that said like if you look at a like family group, you know, a a territory of uh, orangutans that like around half of them will come from the dominant male and around half will be from transient males who came through, which is a really interesting evolutionary strategy because, you know, it adds some diversity to those populations. It it means that it's not just one male's genes in every territory getting passed down, but there is this weird bifurcation in how males behave. And yeah, I never knew that. And it, it seems super wild, but it is true. Yeah, that's fascinating. I had no idea. (laughs) So thank you for that, Katie. And please send us more primate facts as you find them. Yes. And thanks Um, for calling us the Supreme Queens. Oh, my God. I loved that. I really did. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Okay. Here is one that um, will haunt me for the rest of my life. Great. (laughs) Hey, fellow weirdos. Did you know that you have ligaments in your teeth? I sure didn't. A couple weeks ago, I had to have a broken tooth pulled. Being curious, I asked the dentist what holds teeth in place. Her response was simple. Bone holds teeth in place. Now turn toward me and open wide. I love my dentist, but I wasn't satisfied with this answer. So I decided to look it up. It turns out that there is a structure, or really a set of structures, called the periodontal ligament. This consists of, among other tissues, thousands of tiny fibers that connect your teeth to your jawbone, penetrating both of these structures. 
these fibers help to maintain the position of your teeth by distributing the pressure of chewing. They provide orthodontal support to keep your teeth in line, and they really don't want to let go when your teeth are being pulled. This is why the dentist will use their trusty pliers to forcibly wiggle your tooth back. That got cut off, but I assume he was just going to say back and forth when they pull your teeth. So this I'm is from horrified. <laughs> this is from Mike. And first of all, I just want to say, Mike, you really have a great voice for radio. And also the like the pacing of this story was excellent. I can tell Truly. you really like thought through there. Were, there were some great little zingers in there. Um, yeah, there was an I, arc. Yeah, I love the narrative structure. So if you have a <laughs> podcast where you talk about things slightly less horrifying than tooth ligaments, uh, I would love to listen to it. Let us know. Uh, but yeah. That's such uh, a good it, fact, though. Like, I feel like that's like something Claire would have dug up. Yeah, I think Claire is going to be upset that she didn't know this. Or maybe she does totally. know it and she just assumes everyone knows it. Claire yeah. is a tooth expert. Um, <laughs> so, yes, you do indeed have ligaments to keep your teeth in place. They're like little shock absorbers and they can get sprained. What? You can like sprain your <laughs> you tooth? You can sprain your tooth. <laughs> and of course, it's not actually the tooth that's been sprained. Yeah. And um, everything I read about it said like, you know, it's a little different because it's not like uh, you know, most of the sprains we get are joints that are like meant to move. And when you sprain your tooth, like there's not supposed to be that much flexibility. I mean, there's a little bit like Mike said, it's like a shock absorber. It's providing kind of like squishy support. Um, I'm so grossed out. So when a kid loses a tooth and it's like hanging by a thread, is it hanging by a ligament? I guess. So there are lots of little fibers, right? Like I think that the ligament is what you call like the whole Sure, sure. You know, it, the whole it, thing. It, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a system of fibers, which is all all ligaments really are. But yeah, that is the periodontal so ligament just consists of thousands of tiny fibers. And yeah, apparently, like sometimes I read one article on Vice about this that was clearly written just because someone got a spring tooth and was like, what the hell? Um, which I would have exactly the same reaction. I too would have taken it to the blog. But apparently a lot of the time that people come into the dentist thinking they must have cracked a tooth because they like had some kind of clenching situation and felt like a crack. The crack mm. was actually the sprain, which I get because when I, I a few years ago, I broke my leg skating and simultaneous to the very minor break, I had a very serious sprain. And I remember the like very weird, like nothing else, like pop slash crunch of that totally. ligament detachment. And yeah. now I'm like, I definitely have felt that and thought I broke a tooth. Like <laughs> Totally. That makes complete sense. Yeah. When I yeah. played volleyball in college, I had a really, really bad ankle sprain. And I was convinced that like something was broken. But they were like, nope, just a sprain. And I was like, how is that possible? Sprains are worse than breaks a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, now I realize a lot of the weird tooth problems I've had have probably been tooth sprains i have very bad like tmj problems because i mm. clench everything like so many of us in media these days i definitely feel like i need i need to loosen up those ligaments i need to make them limber um, yeah, <laughs> yeah what do you yeah. do for a sprained tooth <laughs> I, I rest rest and recovery yeah. i guess recovery. like with anything else yeah yeah be gentle with it Bye. 
This next one is the opposite of horrifying. It's it's really really special, and oh, uh, I'm part of me is sad that it's been sitting in our inbox so long, but also it's a treat that we need right now. So amazing. Hi, it's Megan from Puerto Rico. I just listened to your Q and A episode, and I may or may not have cried a little bit. Thank <gasps> you for hosting such an amazing podcast, and it was an incredible experience being at your live show. So I'm looking forward to doing that again in the future. However, in the meantime, you are welcome to visit Puerto Rico and host a live show here. You can be weird in Spanish too. And we also have giant iguanas and piña coladas. You don't want to miss <laughs> out on that. So thank you for all you do. Please, please keep things weird and consider visiting the island. Oh my God! She called yes. our long lost friend, our long lost friend Megan, who came I'm to see our show yeah. from Puerto Rico and couldn't even stay for the whole thing because she had to go back to the airport. I am just smiling so big right now. That makes me so happy that she called. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much for getting in touch. Thank you again for coming to the live show. Obviously, I cannot hop on a plane to Puerto Rico right this second. But, uh, <laughs> Some logistical I- problems have arisen. <laughs> I do look forward to it's been on my list for a long time and I look forward to visiting soon. I am not actually capable of being weird in Spanish. Most of my school related stress dreams are about how I used to be pretty much fluent in Spanish and then uh, forgot all of it. Um, And I still carry that that guilt with me in my subconscious and have dreams where it's like you haven't done your Spanish homework in 14 years. Oh, my God. That's traumatic. Yeah. But I still can sing the entirety of In Mi Viejo San Juan. So I, oh, I won't do that. I don't know what that, that is. You know, it's just it's a song that okay, I was I, made to learn. In French class, we learned that song about La Champs-Élysées, the, the street in Paris. Oh, I only I, I briefly studied French in preschool and we just learned the Alouette song. <laughs> oh, that's a good one too. There's lots Still, of good French. The songs. only French I know. <laughs> that's enough. It's okay. But that's so wonderful. And the the thought about the um, giant iguanas and pina coladas. Oh is that gosh. what she said? Yeah. That sounds like a Jimmy Buffett lyric, and it brings <sighs> me so much joy. <laughs> I want to be there right now. <laughs> Same. I really big time. do. Megan, we'll uh, we'll make something happen soon. We really will. We love you. Thank you for calling, and thank yes. you for being at our live show. We love you. Thank you for being a weirdo. We really appreciate it. Okay, let's see. What do we have next? Hi, my name's Kaylin. I'm a graduate student trying to get my PhD in immunology. And my weird fact is the Earth's magnetic poles have actually flipped multiple times. Uh, scientists don't really know why this happens. Um, but a couple of years ago, we were monitoring the polls and we figured out that it might be happening right now. So if this did happen again, um, it'd be really weird because all of our compasses that pointed north um, would all be wrong. So it would be pointing north, but it would actually be pointing pointing to the south. Uh, so that's my weird fact. I would love if you did a whole segment on um, a little bit more about this fact. Thanks. Bye. That's really weird. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that comes up on PopSite every once in a while because there are studies on it, like, periodically because it is something that 
we uh, know surprisingly little about the core of the earth, given that it's like what we're standing on all the time. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, a lot of the research onto what's going on inside the planet is like, just really not where you would expect it to be, given that I think a lot of people take Earth for granted. They think of it as just like a big old rock, but it's got it's really... so much more than a rock. <laughs> it's the only rock we've got. And also <laughs> it's just, you know, the, the kinds of like thermodynamics happening in there because of like the different kinds of rock at different temperatures you have circulating it's really complicated and that's part of why there is probably this you know complex magnetic field flip and indeed over the last 2.6 million years earth's magnetic field has flipped like 10 times that's so Um, weird to think about and i'm sure like i wonder what happens on other planets too yeah well and that's the thing is that like as basic as this stuff is to how earth works like it's not inherent to planetary geology, right? Like right. there are planets that have like different stuff going on in their course. And there is a lot of concern about like, you know, what systems would fail if mm-hmm. this were to flip. There was a study pretty recently that was saying that these flips could take longer than we used to think. So we might not mm-hmm. be like as due for one as previously thought. And also like we're talking on geological scales. So saying we're due for right. one means that like it might not happen for a couple thousand years easily. And totally, you know, we'll have bigger things to worry about by then. Hopefully we'll have figured out how to deal with GPS going down a couple thousand years from now. I would hope so. Yeah. One would <laughs> hope. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for that uh, fact, Killen. And thank you for studying immunology. It's very important. Yeah. Very uh, clutch these days. Yes. Yes. Hope you are doing okay with, with remote schooling and such. I know it's not an easy time, but thank you for submitting your fact. We really appreciate it. Here we have one from... These are all still from November. I think when we did our Q&A episode and we Mm. said, please send us some of these, a few weirdos really heeded the call, which we appreciate. We do. Um, So this is from uh, Jesse. So I've listened to your episodes, uh, really into it. My name is Jesse. And uh, the banana thing that you said was very interesting uh, but the bananas we eat today are not the bananas they were eating in 19 or 1884 uh, or whatever you said it was. Bananas went extinct in uh, 1920 and or something like that. I'm not sure 100% of the dates, but in the early 1900s, bananas went extinct, and the banana we eat today is a completely different banana. What? What is this it's banana true, conspiracy? <laughs> Did you not know oh this about God. bananas? I, oh, yeah. I, I guess not. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, it's true that it did not occur to me to bring this up during the Weirdest Thing episode where we talked about bananas. I believe it was Claire's fact, and she was talking about how bananas debuted in the United States at the World's Fair. Uh, yeah, the, and people like ate them out of like tinfoil or whatever. Yeah. yeah, they were really expensive and they ate them with a fork out of like a yeah. packet of tinfoil because totally. it didn't occur to them that bananas literally come in their own like carrying case. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's okay. We figured it out. But yeah, it is true that uh, even though there are hundreds of varieties of banana that are are delicious to eat in order to standardize production more, there was just a single type 
that companies grew when bananas entered this like mass market stage. And so it was big, it was flavorful. I've definitely heard rumors before that the like fake banana flavor is meant to taste like this banana, but like I don't know if I buy that because it's not like red tastes like cherry. <laughs> like Yeah. Um that's a weird but, you know, yeah. Maybe it was more like this OG banana. But then there was this fungal pandemic throughout the banana world. I thought Um, that was happening right now. Well, I yes. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, because we just had this one variety of banana, it swept through every field of bananas we had, (laughs) you know, like all all these plantations lost just their entire crops. And that was it. That banana was just gone, which was a problem because it was the banana that everyone who was mass marketing bananas was selling. So then they picked another uh, variety that was resistant to this disease that was called the Panama disease, um, the Cavendish. And that's the one we use now. But now there are starting to be some pathogens that are attacking the Cavendish. And again, because we have picked this one type of banana to lift up as the banana, it leaves us very vulnerable. Um, You know, that being said, I've been lucky enough to visit Hawaii a few times. And there they have multiple types of bananas because, you know, they, they grow them there. And they have no reason to just pick one type of banana and stick to it. And... So that was the first time I had a banana that was not a Cavendish banana. What are they Um, like? Like, what are the other bananas like? I mean, like most of the ones, most of the other varieties of banana are like smaller. You know, maybe they like brown more easily. Like there's, you can see why the Cavendish banana was like somebody looked at and it was like, that's, that's our banana to to spread far and wide. But um, honestly, like other varieties of banana are often tastier in the same way that like, you know, heirloom tomatoes taste better than Mm. a lot of the things you can get at the supermarket. Um, Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah. So I was like, wow, like there are all sorts of banana in the world. It's weird to me that there hasn't been more of a, um, a market for like growing different kinds of banana. <laughs> like, totally. You think we would have learned our lesson the first time and like diversified the banana options, but yeah. apparently not. Well, no, apparently not. So it, we are facing <laughs> this problem again. Yeah. You know, we, we know more than we did back when it was in the 1950s when uh, this fungal pathogen first swept the world. So I think it's been our efforts to stop it or slow it or come up with an alternative banana solution will probably be more successful. But yeah, don't grow one kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's moral of the story right there. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for that fact, Jesse. Let's see. Here we have a message from our listener, Kathleen. Hi. Um, I'll go fast because there's only a minute. But um, I really liked the show where you talked about Mary Shelley. I'm a nerd about Mary Shelley, so it was really exciting to hear more people talk about her. Um, but I really recommend the book Mary Shelley, Her Life, Her Fiction, Her Monsters by Anne K. Mellor, M-E-L-L-O-R, uh, because it talks about how she not only may have been the creator of science fiction, um, but it also talks about she wrote, you know, the first uh, post-apocalyptic book. And a lot of people think post-apocalyptic stuff is um, a male genre, but it was also invented by Mary Shelley. Um, and also, uh, Frankenstein, it explores the idea of Frankenstein as um, kind of like not not just a horror about creation, but a horror about 
creation being controlled by men. So like it's about it's a big fuck you to Percy, <laughs> basically. So I recommend reading it. Oh my god, amazing. <laughs> that is the first listener message we're gonna have to bleep, but uh, yeah. what a what a worthy bleep because totally worth it. Truly, yes. truly fuck you to Percy Shelley all yeah. the time. It's an honor um, to craft that beep. <laughs> Thank you for that recommendation. I will definitely check it out. For listeners who did not catch that episode, it was one of our recent Halloween live show episodes. And I talked just all about Mary Shelley and how she was the sci-fi loving goth girlfriend you did not know you needed and did not know you already had. So um, yeah, we stand. We really do. We do. Yeah, big time. And then we have three messages in a row not related to each other from a wonderful fan named Tina. Hi, guys. My name's Tina. I just started listening to your podcasts last week with the Chainsaws for Childbirth episode, and I was 100% horrified by the whole thing and have now gone back, and I'm listening to back (laughs) episodes, and I love it. It's fantastic. Keep it up, guys. Thank you. That's what we love to hear, horrified and can't stop listening. Then we have uh, one fact from Tina and one message that she sent on my birthday that it was truly a gift. And I wish I had seen it on my birthday, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So here's a fact from Tina. Hi, guys. This is Tina from Delaware. I just left a message, but now I'm leaving another one. I'm listening to one of the episodes with listeners calling or with listener comments and, and whatnot. And there was one about elephants being the only animal that can't jump. And then there was some other information about other animals that can't jump. And there was a comment about snakes not being able to jump. There are actually flying snakes, they call them. I watched a documentary on it a few years ago. And they do actually go up into trees and high points and they jump and flatten out their bodies so that they can sort of fly. But anyway, so snakes actually do jump or at least some of them. A little bit weird. But um, the documentary was a lot of fun. Bye. (laughs) I love this fact. I love, well, I guess they technically glide, but I love flying snakes. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember remember what she was talking about because I was talking about like other animals that can't jump. And I was like, it's because if you you use the definition, it depends on your definition of jump, right? So an elephant can't like hoist their whole body off the ground in one go all four feet because they're so heavy and they just like their legs aren't built for that and I was like a snake can't just like hoist its whole body off the ground in one go which is still true Uh, but flying snakes they do go up in trees and they basically just like fall strategically they like catch the wind like a sugar glider or something but it's a snake so um you know obsessed with yeah it's like the funniest (laughs) thing and like the coolest thing at the same time to me yeah, it seems I uh, I will have to look up a video clip because I feel like it probably, depending on like the frame you stop it at, it probably looks either majestic or like really stupid. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then this is the message that Tina sent on my birthday. That's really, really special. I was just listening to the segment about Wawa while driving in my car. <laughs> and now I am sitting at Wawa about to go in and get a hoagie because I couldn't help myself. Oh, this is <laughs> Tina in Wilmington, Delaware, where we also have a gazillion Wawa's. You guys are great. Keep it up. 
Oh, um, that's so nice. <laughs> I love Wilmington. Uh, and Tina, thank you for honoring uh, the holy day of my birth with uh, a hoagie, which is the proper way to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> Most people don't know that, but apparently you do. Tina gets it. Yeah, she gets it. So, oh, here's a here's a nice message. I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed listening to Jess laugh in the background of this week's episode. And also wanted to let you know that I love cilantro. Like, make a drink out of it and I'll drink it down. That stuff is delicious. Wow. What was I laughing at? I don't even remember. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But, I feel like I'm constantly um, laughing in the background anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad she likes it. Yeah. And cilantro. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, good for her. She can have mine. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't mind cilantro at all. I know, obviously, you're in a different boat, but I would be interested in a cilantro cocktail. Ah, uh, I mean, I do like very herbaceous cocktails. So if I yeah. didn't particularly hate cilantro, I'd like it. Yeah, um, it's a concept. Yeah, yeah. Explore it. <laughs> Not with me, but like someone could explore it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's one from uh, Lauren. Hi, my name is Lauren, and I live in Austin, Texas. I'm a big fan of your podcast, and um, I'm so excited about this episode, the ASMR episode, and um, oh my gosh, love to talk more about it. I have ASMR. I don't know how you say that, but I watch certain videos. I get like the weird head tingles, and yeah, it's not sexual at all. Um, I'm just really glad y'all are talking about this. My husband thinks I'm crazy. I mean, he just laughs at it, but... Yeah, I would love to talk more about it. Um, I feel like our world is a world of sounds, and it makes total sense why people would be more sensitive to different sounds. So, anyways, there is my opinion. I hope you guys have a great day. Y'all are the best. Okay, bye. Aw. Thank you, Lauren. I'm glad that we could show your husband he's dumb. No, I'm sure he's very (laughs) nice. I'm sure he's very nice. But this is not the first time we have heard from a listener that their spouse used to think they were weird or crazy or wrong. Yeah. And then they started listening to this podcast. Right. And it seems like it's like that's a thing with ASMR especially. Totally. And I get it because it's such – I think it's one of those sensations where before the internet, people who experienced it assumed everybody experienced it. Right. Right. And And then they would meet people who didn't. And then those people just thought they were crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it probably just like never came up too. Or rarely did. I'm sure, yeah. But now that there's so much content to either seek out or avoid or not understand, it's like yeah. now we all get to get to figure out who's totally. feeling what. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'm sure ASMR will come up again on another episode. There's yeah. lots of weird facts to talk about there. We have a technical question here. What? Hello. I love your podcast. I was just um, asking a question. What microphones do you use? Oh, interesting. So yeah, while we're remote, we have just USB Blue Yeti mics. But back in the studio, we were using the Blue uh, Spark mics, I believe they're called, or the Blackout Spark um, with an arm and like a a boom arm, so nothing's on the table. But yeah, and we use like XLR cables to plug into a mixer that plugs into the computer, basically. Um, And they were great. I love the little Blue Yeti. 
though. I do, too. I I have a great experience with it, honestly. It's very user-friendly. No complaints. Yeah, I would say, like, anyone who's going to be, like, recording at home, like, I don't don't think you need anything fancier than a Blue Yeti. It's pretty – Definitely not. It's very plug-and-play. It's nice. And, you know, the more articulation you get in the mic, the more you have to make just adjust (laughs) – pop covers that are coming undone and yeah um arms that are all over the place so like you know simplify your life totally totally (laughs) basically what i'm saying is if you don't have just there to untangle cords and troubleshoot for you (laughs) i recommend using as simple technology as you can although i do love to untangle cords Jess is really good at her job. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that's so nice. Wow. My heart. (laughs) Here we have another heartwarming message uh, from a listener named Anne. Hey, weirdest thing I learned this week. My name's Anne. I'm from Pennsylvania. I was just listening to your episode that included the invention of forceps and. The vacuum assist. I am happy to say that my darling little two-year-old girl was born using a vacuum-assisted vaginal birth, and it actually kept me from having to have the major surgery that is a C-section. So um, I'm a huge fan. I just want to let you know. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. Wow. I'm so happy for her. (laughs) Yeah. And we're huge fans, too. Listeners, I I did an episode talking about the invention of forceps, which was a fact that uh, my partner Oliver had been haranguing me with uh, (laughs) without end. So I finally used it. And they were a family secret for 200 years. It was a super crazy story. But yeah. Three Peters. Yes, there are multiple Peters. (laughs) One family. Two Peters in one generation, which is a bad idea. Very confusing for all of us looking back on this historically significant group of Peters. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, one of the reasons that forceps are are not really used anymore is that vacuum-assisted birth is like kind of a better version of of the same assistance, less likely to cause complications, uh, gentler. And it is kind of just like putting a suction cup on a baby's head. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that's great. I really applaud the first person who thought of that. There's also this device that I I almost brought up in that episode and now seems like a great time to mention it. It's called the Odon device. And it was invented in Argentina in 2006. Jorge Odon, who is a car mechanic in Argentina, um, he he saw a trick for removing a cork from a wine bottle. where it's if the wine gets corked, like the, the cork is loose inside the wine bottle. Oh, sure. Um, and so you insert a plastic bag in the bottle, then inflate the bag once uh-huh. it's enveloped the cork, and then you pull out the inflated bag with the cork. And he was like, what if obstetricians could use that for a baby? And uh-huh. then it turned out to be a totally great idea. The World Health Organization was really excited about it because it's a really low cost and, and simplified take on the the like vacuum assist or the forceps birth. Um, so yeah, it's basically like uncorking a baby. Oh my God. So like the cork is the baby? Right. And it, it's the same concept where you basically have like a a lubricated sleeve that gets inserted so that it's around the baby's head. 
Yeah. Um, and then there's <laughs> like just such a term. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's like a marker on it so that you can see when it's properly positioned. And then yeah. you inflate it. And that creates the tension um, right. to pull the head out. So, yeah. Fascinating. Love to uncork a baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the next time you're just like having random thoughts, like let yourself have those random thoughts because maybe you'll come up with a new way to deliver babies. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Let's see. We just have a couple of these left. Here's one. It's from Jamie and it's just called Ants on Stilts. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Jamie from Melbourne, Australia, and the weirdest thing I learned this week is that researchers were trying to figure out how ants could always find their way home, um, and they thought they might have an internal odometer, so they put little tiny ant stilts on the ants to see what would happen, and sure enough, they were counting their steps and therefore overshot their, uh, their nests, and that's it. Thanks, guys. I do love this. I remember, I think we covered this in the magazine. I just, I just love did. this. Yeah, I love the visual. <laughs> we have a... Um section in our magazine called Tales from the Field, where we talk to researchers and they tell us in their own words about stories from their research. And one of them was about these counting ant steps. And we had a great illustration of ants on stilts. And in fact, I think think the cover of that issue is the tiny issue, an award-winning issue, in fact, that I think one of the cover lines was just ants on stilts. So (laughs) yeah, it sells. But (laughs) Yeah, this is true that ants do count their steps to track their way home. They can use visual landmarks, but the question was like, how did they know how far to walk? And this stilt experiment showed that they are counting steps because if you make their legs longer, they go too far, Mm -hmm. which is cute and rude. Um, (laughs) Another experiment that Sarah had covered on PopTie.com for us is that when they have to walk backwards to drag something really big, like a giant chunk of cookie, <laughs> yeah. what I think they use in the experiment, they'll lose their way if they have to go backwards the whole time because they do need to see those visual landmarks and they need to see them in the right orientation. Oh. Um, but they get around this by like occasionally turning around to peek at landmarks. So they have to like put the cookie down and turn around <laughs> and figure out where they are and then pick the cookie back up. That's really funny. And drag it backwards. <laughs> So yeah, I love it. Same. I really, I like whoever came up with putting the ants on stilts is a genius. Totally. Totally. Like who would have thunk to do that? <laughs> Only a genius. <laughs> Only a genius. Okay, we have one more message. Hello, weirdologist. Are you kind of as weirdos if you make the show? Whatever. I'm making the best of social distance in San Antonio. And my real question is, what are you excited for in the future? I admit stealing it from another favorite podcast, Ologies with Allie Ward. Uh, Rose Heveleth would also be a good guest on Weirdest Thing. And I have a suggestion. I found a crazy Wikipedia page about limnic eruptions, which is where lakes explode. So I don't know of any other podcast that's covered it. Uh, I love the show. Thanks for being awesome. Bye. Wow. That is so much to digest in the best way. (laughs) Yeah. Weirdologists. I love it. Ologies is an excellent podcast. Love to be mentioned in the same breath. And also it's funny because I know Rose and we've talked about having her on the show a couple times and we are in the process of trying to make it happen for real. So you may get your wish very soon. And we also love Flash Forward. It is an excellent, excellent podcast. Big time. I will definitely look into Exploding Lakes. Yeah. Uh, fascinated. I've never heard of and that. And 
what are we excited for for the future? Does, does he mean like after like social distancing or just in yeah, general? Yeah, I, I think that, I, well, I guess it could be in general, but I think it's like what, yeah, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's definitely going to like Cubs baseball games again. Like, you know, now is or now should be the start of baseball season, but mm-hmm. obviously that's not happening. So, you know, living in a world again where you can just like head on over to Wrigley and go to a game. That's what I miss a lot right now, I think. Um, so someday that will happen again. But yeah, I don't know. What about you? Um, I really miss roller derby. I'm really bad mm. at it, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure I love- you're better than a whole lot of people. <laughs> sure. If you took like the whole world population and tried to get everybody <laughs> to play roller derby, I'm sure I'm solidly above average. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I really, it's a great hobby. It's a great community. I am a non-skating official, which basically means I do referee stuff that doesn't involve being on skates Right for uh, Gotham Roller Derby in New York. I eventually will probably start being willing to referee on skates. And I do their recreation league, which is basically just like taking classes from like the best skaters in the world. And it's wonderful. So yeah, like we're keeping in touch and doing workouts and like all sorts of stuff. But because it's a full contact sport, it's hard to know like what it will be safe for me to like, you know, slam into people with my sweaty body. (laughs) Totally, totally. (laughs) But yeah, I miss that. And um, I'm also really looking forward to having more weirdest thing live shows. Yeah. In Puerto Rico or elsewhere. (laughs) So now I'm really looking forward to going to Puerto Rico and drinking some pina coladas with Megan. So yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah. And it's good to think about those things. It's like a scary time. Um, but yeah. yeah, remembering the things that you love, I think, can really help. Yeah, totally. I guess that's it. We don't have any other messages. We've used them all. I loved um, them all. They were all so they good. Were, <laughs> yes, they were wonderful. Listeners, thank you so much for sharing your voice messages. Reminder, you can always, always send us facts, questions, comments. If they're nice, please. Uh, <laughs> no, roast me. Just send us a voice message uh, on the Anchor app or on the Anchor website. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook in the Weirdest Thing Facebook group. It's a secret group, but if you just search Weirdest Thing, you'll find it and we'll add you and you can be a weirdo in you know, on one more platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. You can find us on Instagram. And yeah, we we miss you a lot. We're going to keep bringing you episodes every two weeks, so... Maybe we'll get a couple more bonuses in there, too, just to make things a little less weird in a bad way. And uh, yeah. It would also really help if you left us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please do. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help other weirdos find the show. So we appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah, that's all I've got. Same. Jess, thanks for listening to these weird messages with me. Oh, it was truly my pleasure. Thanks for sifting through them. Of course. And uh, weirdos, thank you for uh, giving us your time. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. (laughs) The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms. So subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear... 
please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other weirdos find the show. For more information on the stories you heard in this episode, come find us at popsi.com slash weird. You can buy our merch, including Weirdest Thing t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsi.threadless.com. The show is produced by all of our hosts, including me, Rachel Feltman, with editing and audio engineering by Jess Bodie. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or weird stories to share, tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. Thanks for listening, weirdos. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.